Execute Order 66. Coming at you live on Ustream and by podcast at d20radio.com. This is the Order 66 podcast, brought to you by mapsofmastery.com. Good evening, Gamer Nation. This is November the 20th, 2011. And you're back for episode number 148 of the Order 66 podcast. I would be GM Dave, and the woohoo in the background would be GM Chris. What is up, Gamer Nation? Those of you be tuning in for the first time, this is, of course, the Order 66 podcast, the original. I can't say it. You almost said only. Yep, I heard it. I can't say it. Thankfully, I can't say that anymore. I heard Uh, it. The original podcast entirely devoted to Star Wars Saga Edition role playing. And boy, do we have an action-packed and exciting show for you. And that's that's not coming from uh-huh. us. That's coming from something else. It is? It is. It's coming from someone else. It's coming from the silver chocolate goodness of Sir Sterling Hershey. Hello. Hey. Hey. <laughs> How are you doing, Sterling? <laughs> I'm all right. been busy, as everyone probably is, can tell from all my posts the last couple of months. But, you know. Yeah. Say, man, you've been seriously slacking on the Star Wars Wednesdays, man. What's up? You don't have the what? endless hours to devote to creating stat blocks anymore? <laughs> I was lucky to get something put together for the con last week, so yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. Inter- interrupt us. T- dude, talk to us about this, because Kansas City Game Fair was last week, right? Right, right. Yeah, so the Kansas City Game Fair is uh, the convention here in Kansas City that I help organize. And uh, the game club that I uh, help run, the uh, Role Players Guild of Kansas City. Um, you know, we've we've, we've uh, hosted a con since the early '90s. Usually, it was called Sean Con. The last few years, it's been called Casey Game Fair, in, in association with a few other uh, <laughs> groups here, a couple other groups. Sean Con, huh? Yep. Wow. I want Dave Con. And uh, so that was uh, yeah, that was last weekend. We had some guests. Had um, you know, I ran a couple rounds of Star Wars. Um, had some board games, some war games, RPGs. Lots so of good stuff. I, yeah. So, my, yeah, so my, my Star Wars adventure this time was called Wookiee Breakout, so all the uh, <laughs> all the players got to play Wookiees. So they had a good time with that. That's beautiful. But, but did they have to speak in character? It's a thing of greatness. Uh, no, since they were all Wookiees speaking to each other, it was sort of, sort of uh, you know... <laughs> didn't really matter that much but uh, and frankly there wasn't a lot of dialogue between them and their opponents either so um uh fair no they didn't have to worry about that but i did want to i, I did think about handing out a, a character sheet that just said all the way down page I don't know if it's still up, but for a while, like, you know, if you go to Wikipedia, it's, the, of course, the Star Wars wiki. There was one that, that somebody hosted up a, a, a wiki page, but it was Wikipedia misspelled with, like, only one E instead of two. And it was, like, a wiki page that was entirely done in Shrewook. Nice. And so every link, every description was just... <laughs> it's awesome. Oh, dude. 
We are so happy to have you on. Thank you for coming. Yeah, thanks. Fantastic. Oh, Dave, how are things in your neck of the woods? Uh, you know, they're great. Yeah. Yeah, sort of. You know, it is. Um, it's almost Thanksgiving. It is almost Thanksgiving. Do you have any uh, big Thanksgiving plans? Uh, no, not really. Oh. Hmm. Uh, no, I'm I'm trying to deal with the chat room because apparently they're whining that we're uh, we're having some overmodulation issues. Oh, that's okay. Well, you know you know how we can remedy this for the time being. What announcements? Oh yes, indeed, we probably could. Accessing. Ah, good. New acquisition. Greetings, Gamer Nation. My designation is KCK Sim, and this is your Hollow News Net update. Ah, yes, the feature podcast this week, uh, ladies and, and gentlemen, is uh, for you brave souls who want to venture into the world of live play podcasting. Ah, yes. Uh, if you would choose to do such a thing, uh, you know what? You cannot do much better than uh, D20 Radio Zone Threat Detected. Oh, yeah. Indeed, the boys uh, released episode number 15 this week, Dead Kamasi Jokes, and uh, they take the time. Also, to delve into the great discussion on alternative lightsaber crystals. That would be like orange ones and yellow ones, probably. I'm just guessing. Kind of not, not really. Black yeah. ones and white ones. I don't know. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't listened, so, you know. And adapting Sterling Hershey's Talnar's Rescue for Saga Edition is a great lesson. Great episode. Fun episode. Great listen. So, go over and take a look and, you know, take a listen. Yes, Sterling. I don't know if you had a chance to listen to that episode at all. Or I'm not sure if you listened to Threat Detected, but uh, they they pay you quite some good homage in that episode, sir. Uh, I was told about it. I haven't had a chance to go pull it down and listen to it yet, so it's on my uh, on my list. Of all the old mods you've done, like like of all the old mods that have been done, whenever every anytime I go to our forums and somebody says, "Hey, I want to convert this to Saga. I want to convert this to Saga. I want to convert this to Saga," it invariably always comes back to a module you wrote. What's 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 well, up? Nice. <laughs> what's up with that? Well, Talnards has been a uh, you know been converted to about every version I think by somebody or another. Yeah, uh, that seems to have been a, a, a popular one. It originally showed up in, in Star Wars Gamer Magazine issue five, and then Wizards, back, uh, yeah, back, back yeah, hey. yep, and then Wizards updated it to uh, RCR version and gave it away for free on the website. And then um, I guess yeah, threat det- detectors adapted it to uh, to Saga, and I gave uh, give, I've given out comments a few times I think um, to different people on suggestions. I just don't have time to sit down and convert it, so uh, I'll I'll look forward to listening to their uh, episodes. Mm. It, it 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 was a good episode, and. You all should give it a listen. And while you're listening, you can find more fantastic podcasts over at d20radio.com. 
But now it is time to move into juicy bits of web web goodness. Um, of course, obviously, normally Sterling, we of course take the time because pretty much every week we have something to talk about. Uh, to talk about your blog um, at www.sterlinghershey.com, uh, Star Wars Wednesdays in particular. So what this week you you posted up all about uh, about the uh, the all Wookiee game at at the at the Casey Game Fair, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Put up some comments about how the how that went and uh, uh, how you know trying to how it was to try and put it together. So it, it's it's fun. And I, what intrigued me was the picks. There's awesome picks. It's good. Yes. So yes, there were some some. They they had a lot of fun with the the Wookies because they had their own Wookie characters and they had this sort of this Wookie gang of other characters that they used to. You know, sitting in the Wookiee horde and attack people, and it was some of those pictures are from some of those. Although the last picture um, was uh, where it's one Wookiee holding an Imperial soldier up. Uh, the mini is actually holding up the soldier. Um, <laughs> that was actually sort of one of the things that just happened. I grabbed all the sort of grabbed the pile of Wookies and, and the Imperials. After it was actually just after the game had finished, and I set it down. Uh, describing something and it just happened to end up that way which is why all the other Wookiees are laying down but uh, uh, thought it was such a good little pick that it was fun to put up that's awesome well those of you who are interested in in seeing picks and, and knowing more about it of course head to Sterling's blog um, along with a bunch of other cool stuff I'm, I'm man I'm really interested in, in the module I mean you, you were talking about how you had all the last minute prepped uh, you know you and your wife were, were putting together for it I mean did it run well I mean was it was it a good experience did the players have fun yeah, they had fun. Uh, the first table was a little more experienced. The second table had a, a couple of kids and uh, uh, players that had played before, but not very often. So it was two very different experiences, but uh, in terms of how how it went, but uh, uh, they all had fun. And um, you know, I was showing <laughs> I was showing my wife my notes um, that I had actually run from, which amounted to basically a post-it note. Uh, <laughs> so at some point I'll adapt that to something longer that 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 you know people can actually you know, run from. Uh, but you know I just had enough ideas down, and then I used um, stats from uh, uh, Threats of the Galaxy, uh, and you know I had, knew enough other places to look on the fly to find things as I needed them. And I had you know I wanted to wanted to run pretty loosely anyway in terms of plot. I wanted to give them a lot of um, uh, choices on where they could end up going, and both tables chose to go uh, to essentially the same location uh, after they sort of escaped the initial their initial captivity. Uh, but they both took different r- uh, routes to sort of ach- to their final goals. Uh, one one went straight to a, a starport and skedaddled, and the other ones went to uh, well, actually, it wasn't starport. It was the um, I think it was for the, at the refinery, uh, and the other ones went to like the command center of the refinery to try and free their, you know, free more Wookies and take them out with them. So uh, since I wanted to run pretty loosely anyway, uh, I didn't really plan on on detailing a lot of stuff. Um, but it still worked. Uh, what was really surprising to me was that uh, I think I said this in the blog is it was the least number of. Uh, uh, talents and feats used in a saga game that I've seen in a very long time. Um, really? And part of that was certainly with the second table was simply um, 
a matter of experience. Uh, but uh, the uh, the first table, you know, I expected them to do a little bit more with it, but um, maybe the feats were a little, the, the talents in particular were some of the more unusual ones, and they were probably less familiar with them. And some of them turned out to be a little more situational than than I probably needed for a convention game, unless I was going to sit down and make absolutely sure there was a an encounter that used you know gave them the opportunity to use that particular talent. Uh, but so I'll, maybe I'll try and adjust those before they go up on the site eventually. Awesome! I, I can't wait to see. Well, with that, I think it is time, Mr. Director Dave to move on to something else. Day 20 docking bay, hosers. When it don't be making sense, we be making sense of it. Ah, yes, the D20 Docking Bay, of course, where we get y'all's questions in from email, voicemail, carrier pigeon, just whatever, and answer them. Questions you would like us to answer. That's right, forum post. Lots of ways to get us questions, and we even get them, maybe, from our telephone line, which I have no idea what it is. It's the Geek Line, 253-218-4335. Geek. You can also email us, as Dave said, gmchris at d20radio.com, gmdave at d20radio.com, and get to the forums, d20radio.com slash forums. Post your mind and get your questions up. Yeah, baby. Yeah. What well, do we? About. What do we have tonight, Big D? Uh, we have the first question coming up from Angelic Doctor with a uh, chilling question. Oh. I am planning on running a session this weekend with my kids, and I am considering placing them in a situation a la Darth Vader versus Luke at Bespin with a carbonite freezing chamber. Are there any current rules available that addresses how a character might become so encased? Thanks in advance. Yes, Doc. Dude, that's just perfect because there is carbonite freezing available. There is. And Sterling, I'm sure you can speak to this. It's the it was in the bases and battle station section of, of Galaxy at War. Okay, I think did you work on did you work on bases and battle? <laughs> no, that wasn't one of mine. <laughs> no, I've done, I've done All right, so Sterling, I suppose that you're you're very you're somewhat familiar with the. <laughs> <laughs> I've done plenty of bases and battle stations in other versions of the game, but not that book. Not that one. Okay. Uh, well, hey, for those following along, bases and battle stations, Galaxy at War, page 162. Uh, carbonite freezing chambers, they're listed there. They're one of the hazard options. Um, and that's how they're run. And as such, Doc, when you're running them, it's very important because it is a hazard based off of the uh, the CL of the station. You do need to assign a CL, all right? Uh, to paraphrase it, when, when basically when a character is placed into a carbonite chamber, the chamber attacks the character's fort uh, with 1d20 plus 2 plus the CL of the hazard. And if successful, also damages a character an amount of average damage equal to 10 plus half the CL. Just go ahead and check the table on table 5-2 on page 144 for a quick chart detailing all that. Uh, but damage or no, the character is frozen. It means just that, unconscious. They're frozen in carbonite. They can't take any actions. Um, when they are thawed, they do suffer a persistent condition, and they're immediately moved minus four steps down the condition track. The persistent condition goes away after eight hours of rest, though. 
Um, they even have rules in there. It's cool for the the a la Vader scenario he talks about. You know, um, any character adjacent to the chamber who suffers damage from a melee attack has to make a, a, an acrobatics check or fall in, which is nice. Nice. And then it takes one round to activate the chamber once they do fall in, giving, you know, Luke that brief bit of time to stand up, then surge jump out, which is cool. Uh, I like these rules. They're clear. They're simple. They follow the saga system. They're well designed. Um, you know, keeping up with the uh, with the uh, the condition track instead of coming up with some new rules. I really, really like that. But check it out, Doc. Galaxy at War, page one sixty two. It's right there. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And so now what we go is uh, let's let's uh, take a look at Grick's Nair. Uh, he posted up a good question for us. Often overlooked. And he says, I'm getting ready for this weekend's game and noticed vehicular combat listed in the defense section of the stat blocks for several starfighters. I'm assuming it means the feat of the same name, but does that mean a pilot automatically has it while flying said ship? Or is it a requirement to use the weapons? I haven't done a lot of vehicle battles, but I will be having a rather large one this weekend, so any suggestions would be great. The main plan is for the PCs to escort a Republic cruiser to the surface of the planet, while vulture droids, tri-fighters, and a handful of pirate vessels try to prevent it. Sweet. Yes. Normally, they all stay in their modified dynamic class transport, but for this battle, some are going to be in smaller fighters. Dude, that sounds like a fun encounter. It does sound cool. Um... There are a fair number of starship stat blocks that have vehicular combat in the defenses section. Uh, and, and yes, this does mean the feat of the same name. But what it means is that the standard crew listed in the stat block has access to the feat. Generally speaking, um, if you look through the stat blocks, any crew pretty much of skilled or higher level will have it. And it means that if you take the stat block directly from the book, crew included, and you use it as a threat or an NPC ship, the pilot gets vehicular combat the feat. And you can use it. Uh, if you strip out the crew, that feature goes away. So if your PCs hop into fighters that have vehicular combat in the stat block, they don't get the benefit of vehicular combat feat unless they actually have the feat. Sarai? Sarai. Sarai. Nice. Okay. So, um, all right, let's skip over to Empty Back to Tank, who uh, sends in another great question about one of his characters' forays into droidification. Ooh. I says, I've got a question about a character with the crippled background from the Rebellion Era source book. Love it. Yes. The character has some, has one cybernetic limb. I got the idea to eventually have the limb modified a little in play using the upgrade rules in Scum and Villainy. It seems clear from the text in Scum and Villainy that the cybernetic limb has one slot because it's stated most equipment has one, unless stated otherwise. The only thing I'm puzzling over is the size of the object. What is the size of a cybernetic limb? Should I stick to the rules in the book that says if there's no listed weight for the object, it's classified as a diminutive? Any helps appreciated. Thanks. Very interesting. And I do have to start by asking both of you a question. If you were forced to have a limb or an appendage or something like that cut off and replaced with cybernetics, what would it be? My head. Your entire head. <laughs> That's impressive. That's impressive. I Sterling, would say, you? I would say arm. 
Arm. Definitely arm. Arm? arm? You, you, do Sterling, do you want a cybernetic hand that can have like a, you know, a, a dice box built into it or what? Well, there are days that I have enough hand trouble that it would be nice to replace with, replace one with one that didn't hurt on occasion. But uh, Fair enough. Uh, but, uh, you know, it'd be kind of hard to just do one leg. I mean, that would be, how would you run? I mean, <laughs> what would be the point? Your wife is cracking me up. She's in chat and she's in, in Gecko Bay. She says, at this point, both legs. <laughs> well, that's because she, well, that's because on the way out of the convention last week, she turned her ankle stepping off of a curb. So she's oh. sitting in the other room watching the laptop with her legs propped up on a, on a uh, uh, footstool, so. I'm so sorry, you sweet woman. That is terrible. Oh, that Did sucks. she get workman's comp? Workman's comp? <laughs> <laughs> workman's comp? What's that? <laughs> <laughs> no clue. So, okay, to, to back to Tank's question, um, this is, I think this is very cool considering our, our recent episodes on cybernetic enhancement. And for those who are following along, the, the crippled background, page 17 of the Rebellion Era Campaign Guide, is one of the 11 event backgrounds presented in the background system, which you know, replaces a character's destiny but gives them other cool benefits. Crippled means your character was basically seriously wounded in some way, and they, they, but they had to, to overcome the effects and become stronger. And uh, basically the character starts play with a free cybernetic prosthesis, um, one, and, and then gains access to endurance mechanics and treat injury on their skill list. Uh, Magic which is legs. Pretty good. Do what? It's my magic legs. My ma- magic legs. Lieutenant Dan. <laughs> I said sweet when you were reading the question because I think this, this is like one of my favorite backgrounds. I, it's really flavorful and I think you can do a lot with it. Um, not the least of which is, as we've talked about, modifying your prosthesis. Um, to answer your question, back to every, um, <clears throat> every prosthesis should have one upgrade slot just because that's kind of the minimum. And it really doesn't say that it has more. Um, it doesn't call it out either, but it, they were kind of written before we had the rules for that. Uh, Sterling, I mean, would you agree with that? I mean, do you think prosthesis should have any more upgrade slots or maybe depending on size or should it just be limited to one? Oh, probably just the one. Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, maybe if you had a, a larger, if your creature was, or if your character was large or something, maybe you could make a an argument for something different. But I would think just the one usually. Huh. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I mean, you could always use tech specialist to add another or start stripping it, but you know, you guys know the drill on that. So the size of the prosthesis thus does come into play, and and honestly, there, I don't think there's any hard and fast rule here. I think you just got to use your common sense. The the raw of the rules is written of no classified weight equating to a diminutive object. I just really don't think that's going to work here. A leg is not a diminutive object. <laughs> um. I, I, I think cybernetic prosthesis are kind of the exception to that rule because it's maybe assumed that their weight takes up the inherent weight of the lost limb. Um, so that obviously the weight's me. not going to matter in terms yeah. of encumbrance, things like that. Yeah, uh, That makes sense to me. Yeah, it's either a similar weight or just powered well enough to make you not notice. Mm, you see, there you go. This now, table... F- Table 14.2 on page 254 of the core rulebook, Bacta, um, it gives us some good examples of object sizes, and it notes that a blaster rifle is about a small object. The blaster pistol or data pad is tiny. So as such, you know, for a medium creature, I think a full arm or a leg would probably be small, and a hand, a foot, something similarly sized would probably be tiny. Um, that makes sense to me. See? So, yeah, so, sounds reasonable. Yeah. Perfect. So you Use walk your noggin, bar. you won't go wrong. You walk into a bar. Hey, is that a vibroax in your pocket, or are you just happy to see me? 
Ba bum bum bum. Actually, it's my vibro leg. <laughs> <laughs> I use it to kick for an extra two die six of damage. Yeah. Oh, dude! <laughs> See, now we've got martial arts to take into the extreme. <laughs> oh, good questions, folks! Thank you for sending them in. Keep sending them in. We've of course listed off the ways you can send in questions to the show. We want to hear them. Yes, sirs. We want to hear from you. Come play with me. Come play with me. Okay. Uh, we're going to stop down for approximately 6 minutes, 27 seconds to listen to Lando's Shipyard. That would be GM Phil. Love this show. And, and, and full on. And full on gamer. That's what I was about to say. Love this segment. Great segment. Yes, yes, yes. So here we go, Lando Shipyard. Stay tuned. We'll be back on the other side. How you doing, you old pirate? Good day, Gamer Nation, and welcome back to Lando's Used Shipyard, a segment dedicated to ships of the line and suggested starship modifications that highlight the varied craft within the Star Wars universe. I'm the administrator of this facility. I'm Darth GM. And I'm full-on gamer. And someone tried to sell an undercover Imperial agent a stolen transport. Hey, that Rodian told me his cousin gave him that ship. And as an arrangement with the Imperial Judicial Branch, we've been assigned community service, including a discussion about the importance of the Bureau of Ships and Services. I wanted to call this segment, Who's the Boss? But the judge threatened to slap me with a copyright infringement charge as well. Detailed in brief on page 11 of Starships of the Galaxy, the Bureau of Ships and Services, or BOSS, is a galactic agency responsible for recording the unique transponder codes to starships <coughs> and tracking their movements through space. A fixture of intergalactic travel for over 18,000 years, the Bureau of Ships and Services fielded offices in most major spaceports. Its unique structure and neutrality, complete with its own customs, traditions, unique personality, and even language, allowed it to operate across political borders and through the transition of major galactic powers. Offices and field positions were often filled through hereditary means, so much so that after a millennia of operation, the Bureau was both a closely knit family and a civil agency. According to some, Boss was full of secrets that not even the, the Galactic Empire dared mess with him. This means that no matter when your game takes place, your players need to deal with the Bureau for just about any ship registration. Unless you take great pains to conceal the modifications to your ship, the Bureau knows your ship's name, registry, captain, and weapons loadout. They're also responsible for the regulation and distribution of updated astrogation information in a galaxy constantly on the move. From the days of the ancient hyperspace beacons to the holonet burst package that race up and down the hyperspace corridors, this is the agency that tries to keep you from jumping through a star or making a little impression on a big rock. The galaxy's record keeper when it came to starship and spacer information, it kept extensive information on starship registrations and transponder codes of captain's flight certifications and a listing of all weapon loadouts on all registered ships in the galaxy. It also kept track of the development and public distribution of astrogation and navigational information, as well as the data on hyperlanes used in navigation computers. The Bureau's data banks were continuously updated and transmitted to spaceports, systems, and enforcement agencies throughout the galaxy. Files bearing information on the millions of registered starships were held in secure, encoded computer cores. Think of the Bureau as a combination of the Registry of Motor Vehicles, Department of Transportation, 
and the Internal Revenue Service, rolled together in one gigantic ball of red tape. All registered spacers were issued with a boss data pad, which was shown to all port officials and Republic or Imperial boarding parties upon request to ensure the legality of a ship's position, cargo, and crew. Often those with a plan for nefarious action will find it easier to simply shipjack someone else's ship with which to commit their crimes and abandon it before a boss registry flag can go out than to falsify or stealth their hardware or to crack into a boss mainframe to scrub the record. Boss was the keeper of starship information since time began, or so it seemed. It was not really a bureau attached to any government or other institutions like the other bureaus, and it did not owe loyalty to anyone. Because of this, the bureau has a lot of pull and a lot of power. It works because just about every political power throughout the history buys into the bureau. They need the information the bureau regulates and accepts their neutrality and autonomy. Every license for every piece of equipment goes to the Bureau's coffers. They most certainly want their cut of your ship's quad-turbo laser battery license. They also tend to get annoyed when people try to hide equipment or duck out of paying proper licensing fees. This is where the Bureau can come into play against your players. If the PCs are trying to alter, hide, spoof, or otherwise falsify or conceal an engine signature or transponder codes from the Bureau or hide military-grade equipment that they don't have licenses for, have that inspector find the offending equipment during a sweep and demand immediate payment, plus back taxes. Failure, and the player's ship is impounded. If the players don't have the credits to pay, maybe the Bureau agent has a task he needs them to accomplish in exchange for letting them go, after paying the proper licenses, or removing the offending equipment, that is. If the players try to force their way out, have the Bureau send bounty hunters and or the law after them. The Bureau is a very large and very old organization. It can afford the best bounty hunters around. It can also request wants and warrants from whichever government entity happens to be running the galaxy at the time or place of your offense. Either send powerful bounty hunters after the characters that are a challenge to the whole party by themselves, or send an enforcement or customs team of at least equal level to the party. If the players defeat these bounty hunters... Have them contacted by someone claiming to be a benefactor who states that the Bureau is now likely to send larger bounty hunter group after them or broaden the scope of open warrants beyond system to sector, regional, or even galaxy-wide. But the benefactor is willing to pull some strings to get the charges dropped if the players help them. If your players own their own ships at all, especially if they're a smuggler or independent trader crew, you're missing out on a lot of plot devices and character motivations if you're not using the Bureau of Ships and Services in your game. We hope that this talk about the Bureau has educated you on this noble institution of bureaucracy. And satisfied the last of our community service requirements. Well, it has for us. Lando still has to do those 200 hours of work since he's in the shop owner, and he's responsible for the employees. Oh, yeah, right. Hey, what do you get assigned, anyway? 200 hours at the Gungan Retirement Home. This deal is getting worse all the time. It's good. Once again, guys, excellent segment. Thank you. Thank you, Darth GM and Full On. Oh. Yeah. So, you know, um, there's a certain thing that goes on right about now.
makes me think of red lightsabers. It should. Double-bladed red lightsabers. Double-bladed all the way. No, never mind. Sorry. Well, we kind of wanted to get to the meat of the show as quickly as we could um, because we have a lot to talk about and we are thrilled. Uh, Sterling, thank you so much for agreeing to come on and talk about our our show topic tonight, man. Um, We had a request for this some time ago and, and frankly... uh, when I, when I realized you know, we had the opportunity to talk to the the author of what we're going to be talking about, it um, it it was just too good of an opportunity to pass up. So thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Of course. So Dave, what are we what are we going to tentatively title the meat of this show? Uh, we're going to title it "Use the Force." Yar. <laughs> Yar, matey. Uh, tonight we're going to return to our much beloved fan segment, "Visions of the Force." Uh, where we take the time to delve into the more unusual Force traditions in the galaxy. And as I mentioned, uh, this discussion tonight came from a show request from the illustrious Beej on our forums, who wrote the following. Illuminate us, Dave. I really think his name, I think I think it's a really clever way of making his name look like B.J. I don't know. Maybe. I'm not sure. We'll have to ask well, I've him. Known, I've known guys like whose names are B.J. and people call him Beej. So. Yeah, it happens. Okay, so, uh, yeah, the genesis of this is uh, Beej, who wrote in, Hey, guys. Hello. Hello. I was hoping you guys could cover the blazing chain in the next Visions of the Force. Wait, what? Visions of the Force? Can it be? Yeah, Visions of the Force. Pirates are pretty boss, and Jedi pirates are even more boss. Mahalo, Beej. <laughs> Because I, you know, I have a drop for whispers or visions of the force. Yeah, I know. That's why, like, in the email for the show notes, I said, "Hey, we're doing visions of the force tonight." Oh, really? Uh huh. Well, that sucks because I <laughs> forgot it. So, all right. So, yeah, just rewind for a second, and we can listen to it because I really like this one. Visions of the Force. Of course, you know I have to pay Courtney a residual every time I play it. That's true. It's okay. She needs the money. She does. Starving 16-year-old barely got her car. And there you go. See, there you go. There you go. There you go. Yep. Uh, so this is a very interesting request for a very interesting Force tradition because, frankly, who doesn't want to play a pirate? Yar! Much less a Force-using pirate. Mighty! Double yar! So strap on your peg legs, Gamer Nation, grab your blasters, your eye patches, and your stone-cold booty Woo! as we fire up the blazing chain on Order 66 podcast. Yeah. yeah. So, Sterling... First of all, t- talk to us a little bit about this because, I mean, for those of our listeners who who are like hardcore Star Wars junkies who've read every book and they know the EU inside and out, they may very well be wondering just who these guys are because they've never heard of them. <laughs> That's talk true. To us about, talk to us about about why that is and the genesis of this uh, this tradition. Well, the reason that you probably have never heard of them before you read them in here is because they didn't exist until I wrote them. Ah. <laughs> Um, now we, we, um, wanted to put a couple of, uh, of 
new Force traditions in the book. Uh, obviously, only one of them made it in. Um, and uh, so, as part of that, I came up with these uh, Force-using pirates. Now, before you uh, continue, um, sorry to interrupt, for those who may be wondering what book they appear in, um, they are found in the Unknown Region source book, uh, pages 32 and 33, if you want to read along. Yeah, just forward, um, just you know, fast forward on through there, right there, bam. Boom, done. Yep. <laughs> so, dude, talk to, us about, about, talk to us about this chain. How did it start? Where did the idea come from, and what are they about? Uh, or we can play our music. Or we can play our music, and I don't know why it came up so loud all of a sudden, because the other one ended, and it went right back to where it was before. See? That's a DJ trick right there. Ah. Drink. Drink. Yeah. So start I thought it was just for my, you know, my dramatic, my dramatic, you know, story here. It, it well, it is. You know, it's both. A few things. I don't think we have an appropriate enough music for that level of drama, Sterling. No, we don't. We'd have to get Whitmer involved and like do something different and new. Light bulb. Bing. <laughs> All right, Sterling, talk to us, man. Where did this tradition come from? What was the genesis, and what are they about? Um. I was trying to remember back. Um, let's see. You know, I, I can't remember exactly what the fir- what the original where the original idea came from. I mean, um, you know, I just thought it would be fun to have this gr- this group of uh, force users out there that didn't rely on lightsabers, didn't rely on, and and actually tried to use the force um, just as a little bit more pragmatically and ways to improve their rating techniques essentially and so you see some of that in their in their talent tree uh, with things like force directed shot uh, and things like that where you're actually um, using the force to direct like a blaster bolt shot um, and I thought that would be kind of a neat thing because you know you see the you see the the Jedi, you know, throwing lightsabers or wielding lightsabers, redirecting shots, um, or you know, using move object to hurl things, and it's it was some I hadn't quite seen that before. Where hey, what if we affected, you know, the trajectory of a blaster shot and to improve our aim and some things like that. And then um, it seemed like a natural with the with the uh, pirates, um, and you know, I also. Knew they were going to be in the unknown unknown regions, and so I knew that um, they'd be very isolated. So I could uh, play around with the fleet structure a little bit um, and give them, um, uh, basically, make them their own. Uh, what do you want to call it? Almost their own civilization, although they're not really quite that big. Um, but with their their fleets, um, you know, I say at one point their fleets are. Uh, their members are 80% from their own fleets. That means their fleets get pretty big at some point. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it was a lot of fun to sort of bring all of that together. Well, it, it it's clever, and it's one of those things that it, it, seem, it seems to play on. I, 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 maybe it was subconsciously, but what drew me to it the first time I read it, it was like, okay, everyone I talk to who wants to play Star Wars, they usually have, about 90% of them have one of two archetypes in their head. I want to play someone who uses the Force, or I want to play a smuggler space pirate. 
True. <laughs> those seem to be very common things. So the opportunity to combine those, uh, it seems like a lot of fun. Um, now you you talked about the, the the fleet size here and 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 kind of how it is. And I know in the in the book itself, you mentioned that there's like what about a dozen fleets or so. Uh, I think that's right. Um, you know, at any one time, and you know, the larger ones have you know their own like like colony ships that they sort of use as mobile cities um, here and there. But you managed to, when you wrote it, go into I mean, you you wrote sort of a mini history of the of the Blazing Chain. You know, starting in the Old Republic and you kind of moving up through the Dark Wars and finally in, into the rise of the Empire era. You know, and 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 beyond into into you know after after the Galactic Alliance fall. Um, you you'd mentioned I mean so. Talk, I mean, talk to us a little bit about the the old Republic era and, and how the order first started or, or really came into its own, uh, kind of you know after the the Great Sith War. Uh, okay. Um, actually, um, hang on. <laughs> actually, I had to go back and reread this a little bit after I after I talked to you the other day, so I could <laughs> recall what because uh, it's been a little while since I've used it, um, but. Um, yeah, the reason the, the whole history is there is obviously we've got all these different eras now, uh, mm-hmm. and especially with something like the unknown regions, which, frankly, the unknown regions you could actually, uh, you know, in, during the Old Republic, the unknown regions was a much larger area of space, so you could actually have um, have these guys uh, even closer to more familiar areas if you really wanted to. Uh, but the idea is really they're really out in the traditional unknown regions. Yeah. Um, but in terms of, um, you know, during the, um, let's see, after the Great Sith War, yeah, they, that's when they, you know, they are, they already exist before then, but that's when they start learning, um, more from, um, they get a little bit more Sith influence, but they're not really attracted to the, to the, um, to the philosophies of the Sith. They, they, you know, they're, um, they're really not. They they really look at the forces more of a like I said before a pragmatic thing where if they if there's a Sith technique that might help them that's fine but they're not really about falling to the dark side and and uh, you know ultimate power you know they they yeah. they, um, they do have you know they they do have the structure of ships and captains and and um, crews that uh, that they obviously like or they would not continue to exist as they do for so long. True. But I can just see this scene in my mind. I mean, it's like after the Great Sith War ended, you know, you had all these these basically fleeing Sith armadas, you know, they were just fleeing out to the unknown regions and they had to run into these guys. Yeah, yeah, eventually they did. Um and 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 that something like that you need to account for in, in the history, otherwise uh you get these not that the Sith are just everywhere in the unknown regions, it obviously you could they could never, you know, the space is big and they could never meet. But it's much more interesting if they have. Completely, and, I, and it's like, it, and it, you know, you wrote in there that you know, while some of the the smaller ships and maybe less dedicated Sith crews were kind of may, may have been assimilated into the into the blazing chain, you know, there, there, I'm, I quite imagine there would have been some pretty bloody conflicts. Um, but I, it starts to really play into as I was reading some of the later philosophy of the blazing chain in terms of the fact that, you know, from a strictly a pragmatic sense, you know, it's like you said, they don't really care about. Um, the the philosophy of the Sith they don't really buy into it, but it's one of those things that hey, you mean I can call upon aggression and anger and actually gain some serious benefit from it from a force perspective? Oh, okay. 
You still have the dangers. I mean, just because they treat the force this way doesn't mean you. You still have to watch out for you know dark uh, your dark side score and so forth. Uh, yeah, you know, those things still exist. Um, just because you're playing a little bit different tradition doesn't mean that uh, uh, you can completely ignore that. Oh yeah, and, and I, I really I do want to talk about this when we get into the actual playing of the character um, because I think it, it makes for a unique scenario and also a, a potential pitfall for both player and GM. But I mean, as as you continue, you know, talking about it, and, and you, you know, you're reading reading about the the, the order, uh, you know, they're they're led by well, what was the term? The Atacaps are the, the the captains of their individual fleets, right? Um, and that you know, by the time of the Dark Wars, which uh, you know, like what four thousand years before Battle of Yavin, like pretty much the vast majority, almost all, like ninety percent of the Blazing Chain fleet members are Force users, right? Um, which is Pretty, as you say, you know, it's a, it's a unique culture, even though it's not necessarily a civilization, but it's a unique culture, and that's a pretty large percentage of force users for a unique culture. But it makes sense. Um, so, okay, one of the things that really intrigued me is when you talked about when we get into the rise of the Empire area, just you know, just one year before the Battle of Naboo, um, there was uh, the Atacap of, of one of these fleets of the Blazing Chain. I think it was the um, the was it the Black Shackle fleet? Uh huh. That he he fell to the dark side actually, yes, <clears throat> yeah yeah basically this uh, Atacap Zonso, um, he he falls to the dark side, um, decides to try and and you know he's he's inspired by the Sith, uh, yeah. and decides to start trying to conquer areas of space and the other the other um, fleets um, oppose him in this and basically starts a a battle between the the two sides. And uh, ultimately, you know, the the, the uh, Black Shackle fleet, fleet is defeated, but not before it really sort of really decimates, not really decimates, but really um, severely uh, damages the entire sort of blazing chain uh, civilization, if you want to call it that. Well, it makes sense. And uh, uh, also this, now, now, and when I was writing this, I wrote this specifically during this time frame. Uh, to diminish their 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 power and their force use during the same era as basically the the when the empire is at its height, uh, so that was on purpose. Um, and then they start building back up as the new republic starts building back up. And while you know there's not a lot of direct interaction necessarily, um, uh, there could be. And so I wanted to, to sort of still reflect the larger universe in its own way. That's awesome. Now, this obviously this war left them, as you said, like severely diminished. And I mean, so as you say, you're writing that we don't have that large presence. So it really took them thousands of years to to recover and regain that former strength. You know, well after the Battle of Yavin. Um, and one thing I wanted to, I oh, sorry, one thing I also wanted to point out was, you know, I say ninety percent of the Blazing Chain members are force sensitive. That doesn't necessarily mean they're all running around wielding force powers. I mean. Um, some of them are obviously better than others or better trained than others. And some of them just are probably untrained. Uh, so don't think that this is a, you know, this is necessarily a group of pirates that are all Jedi level, uh, force users. Uh, it's real, it's a real mix is what the intent, what I intended anyway. Mm. Well, it makes sense. And I, I mean, I can see a command structure devolving depending on your, in this kind of culture, I quite imagine your, your command a position is probably directly related to how powerful you are of a force user. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and that, that makes good sense to me. So is and, it... Uh, I'm sorry? Sorry. Go ahead. I say, is it possible for someone who's not a force user to rise in the ranks or become a leader? I mean, if I'm wanting to use these guys as NPCs, you know, what, what kind of leadership qualities should I expect in terms of, you know, their, their force ability and so on and so forth? Um, typically, I would say that the, the, the higher level leaders probably have uh, better force abilities. But uh, there's nothing that says that, that you could have, you know, you could always have a non-force user be a high-level commander if, if they're effective. Uh, they're much more about, you know, results than, than how you get there. Um, and, but in generally, generally speaking, the, yeah, the higher-level guys are going to be a little bit better at using, using the force. Um, but again, they also don't use, you know, I wouldn't expect them to be running around with lightsabers. Um, they, that, you know, there may be one or two people that here or there that have one, but that's not the focus. And that's not, they don't really have a, a culture of lightsaber training. Uh, it's really more, you know, their own, in the, the talents that are in their own tree are sort of the, the direction they, I would focus their abilities. That makes sense. Now, I, I was reading this. And I was thinking about some of the, the some of the NPCs we can encounter because when I was, as we were going through the prep for this episode again, I was thinking, man, I, I'd love to throw these guys up as antagonists or you know possible allies of of a group of heroes. And I was thinking about every time I do this, I start to think of iconic characters that I want my party to encounter. You know, you know the the, the so called pirate lord or the Atticab of a specific fleet. Dave, one of the things that that <clears throat> and I wanted I wanted to talk to you about this. One of the things that you have always done very well when it comes to role-playing and, and voicing a character, but more importantly, when you write, is you... I remember one of the first pieces of fiction you ever showed me was a novel you were working on called Bank. Do you remember this? You're going to bring that up, are you? <laughs> okay, the best part of that was your antagonists were not necessarily evil. They did bad things, but it was through a cold efficiency of financial motivation. <laughs> what I mean from a from a player's perspective and a and a you know up and coming GM's perspective, when I'm trying to characterize somebody who's gonna be a, an Atticap of a pirate fleet um, or a, a, a mercenary raiding fleet I mean, what should a GM look for for inspiration? I mean, from a from a character perspective, how would you how do you create somebody like that? How do you write it? Are you talking to me? I'm talking to you, dude. Um, you start with greed, and you kind of work your way on down. <laughs> I mean, that what what is it? I mean, from 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 a pirate's perspective or let's put it in terms of these you know blazing chain perspective right it's all uh anything and everything to promote how we stay alive is it right so what are you talking about you're talking about stealing things and raiding and pillaging yeah pretty much and I mean, Sterling, I mean, you weren't intending these guys to have any kind of altruistic understreak or a, a, an overall light side leaning, and obviously they don't inherit a Sith philosophy. Right. I mean, is it just, is it just self-interest for them? Yeah, pretty much. And, 
this may sound strange, but that is something, generally speaking, we don't see. And I mean, Dave, you may, you may agree or disagree with me this, Starling, too. We don't see a lot of that in Star Wars. Maybe that's one of the reasons I found these guys so intriguing as a, as a character archetype. You know, I see that from my PCs all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but generally speaking, big characters in Star Wars, they're focused on an ideal, whether it be, you know, the light or the dark. Generally speaking, it's an ideal. I, I, I would say that the, the closest thing that comes to this is the huts. I was about to say the same thing. Oh, you both bring up a very good point. You know, they, their focus is not necessarily that, but that of power and accumulation. That's, a, that's an extremely good point. Hmm. Although the, the huts are about gathering their own personal power and wielding their own personal power. Right. Uh, whereas these guys really are based more around their fleets. Um, I mean, they they do have personal aspirations, but um, it's really more about keeping the fleet functional, intact, and, and, and uh, you know, keeping okay. themselves alive. Okay, well, th- this is a good launching point then into, into the next part of the discussion I wanted to talk about, kind of the, the ways of the blazing chain. You know, I've been leading into this. What do these characters believe in? What separates them from the Jedi or the Sith, you know, aside from from acquiring booty. Uh, <laughs> Which drives a lot of men. <laughs> that does drive a lot of men. Many that I know, yes. Yeah. Um, you know, what are their values? What are their abilities? And, you know, we've, we've kind of started off this discussion, but, you know, Dave, kick us off, you know, guiding, guiding some of our discussion here with the philosophy of the blazing chain and, and kind of... What, what they stand for from their own perspective and, and, and the force as well. I mean, Sterling's been hinting at this earlier as well. Well, yeah, okay. So I think we've been kind of driving the point home that they don't really care about um, the force insofar as uh, an ideology. It just it, it is what it is. It's, it's pragmatic, I guess you could say. Um, it's as useful to them as their blasters and their starfighters are. Right. Yeah, it's just another tool, right? It's, it's, it is... You know, is this going to keep them alive, or is this going to get the next, you know, score, if you will? So, which is one of the reasons they also don't like the dark side. Yeah, mm-hmm. because it's not. I mean, that's, that's the thing. The dark side itself, it, it's tempting to say the dark side is all about self-interest. Um, because really, I mean, that's how you, you know, it, but it's it's about negative emotion, anger, and aggression. But the philosophy of the Sith itself is m- a bit more than that. I mean, it really is a, a philosophy. Um, right. In but its it, own right. But here, you're not going to find any single unifying force philosophy in the group. You know? Right. You'll have some members that will, you know, go a little bit more light. Some that will go a little bit more dark. Um, if especially if they go too dark, then especially after the uh, black shackle experience, um, they, yeah, they definitely keep an eye out for people falling to the dark side, um, because then those people are too, you know, you know, too worried about their own power and wielding that over others in a way that doesn't usually help the fleet. Although some fleets can, like I've said somewhere in here, that some of the fleets can be run by a uh, somebody who is clearly dark side for a while, but it doesn't last. Mm-hmm. So obviously, we, you don't go into it in here, but I mean, in your mind, 
what would be uh, when that critical mass is reached and and the the members of the fleet go okay <laughs> i mean would there be a coup i mean how i mean would you would you be removed from power in the the easiest way possible or you know how would, I would they say if it, if if it's a sing if it's like a single uh commander or maybe a small group within a fleet um it may you know reach a point where the Atacap of that fleet notices that it's becoming a problem and might take action at that point. If it is the leader of the fleet, yeah, it might be with a group within the fleet that would stage a coup, but it also might be a another fleet that's taken notice that, hey, these guys are drifting too far and ca- basically causing trouble that could bring um, even more, you know, out, bring outsiders, uh, bring outside attacks, I should say. Um, from you know other governments, area governments. You know if they if they start attracting too much attention because of the the dark side and and um, start making it more difficult for the rest of the fleets, they'll they'll take action. Exactly. It's kind of like kind of like Victoria when she built the vampire army, you know, at arm's length, and the Voltori had to come and like intervene, or they were about to. Just nasty stuff. Are you talking about Twilight? <laughs> Oh, Dave, Dave, Dave. Just derail the show right here. Right now. You got a talent. I will give you that. <laughs> you do have a talent. Oh, dude. <laughs> All right, so in terms of the, the abilities of the, of the Blazing Chain, and, and I do want to actually, we, we did set aside some time in the notes here to, to go over each of the four talents individually that are part of their unique chain, uh, their unique tradition, talent tree. But, I mean, aside from that, what do you guys envision in terms of force powers and other force abilities these guys might have, considering their philosophy? Oh, well, I don't know, actually. Defense, probably as much as offense. You know, I guess uh, Sterling already mentioned the whole, uh, you know, force used to to uh, control the blaster bolt but i would imagine that there's a defensive one as well and i haven't read that far in advance to tell you the truth well no uh, i mean i mean like aside from their individual talents i mean if you if you were building this character and based on his philosophy i mean sterling what what other abilities would they generally have i mean in terms of what, what would they try and gravitate towards i mean just what's going to matter for the fleet or is there anything common we can probably imagine them using um Let's see. Because I'm thinking, like, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was thinking, like, one of the things that crossed my mind is this seems very much at odds with their philosophy because they seem to be very action oriented. But I can imagine, like, using the force to predict the future um, might come in real big handy to a group of pirates, um, scouting uh, out could, raids, things like that. I mean, I, yeah, I could see, I could see them doing that. I didn't. I don't think I really talked about that in here, uh, but but yeah, I could see where where some of that would be uh, useful to them. Um, I wouldn't see it very widespread, uh, but maybe their planner, maybe their tactical planners might have that kind of uh, skill. I could see it. I could see it. Um, I was just glancing back through here. The uh, talked about um, taking talents that make them more difficult to see or hit in a more tactical situation like force haze or elusive target. Mm. Uh, and, uh, um, mm. phase. Ooh, phase. Mm. 
That would be interesting. Uh, it's totally useless in every application I've ever seen it, but haven't, who knows? Okay, okay but can you imagine a like like attack squad, like a like a special op squad of blazing chain pirates in vac suits, shoving off of an airlock and landing on the hull of a ship and phasing through? Yeah, that'd be kind of cool. Dude, I gotta do that. <laughs> <laughs> See, look at there. <laughs> I'm just hey, you, you, actually, guys, you guys on your next mission, man. All of a sudden, there's a ship docked out. There's a ship out there. Really? I, what's, I don't know. It's got some kind of fiery chain symbol painted on its hull. And all of a sudden, just floating through the walls of your ship come these guys in vac suits. <laughs> <laughs> See? I, or you can just do it straight through an airlock. Mm. True, but Mess that's not... Surprising. <laughs> oh, but it could be. If, they're all, if everyone's waiting on the other side, okay, I'm going to do this when the airlock door opens. And all of a sudden, open. the guy just comes through. See, if I was a real bastard GM, I could be like, you know, okay, we ready? Because, right, you know, the PCs are prepping. All right, we've all okay. got ready actions. The instant the doors open. <laughs> <laughs> and then they phase through. They start phasing through. My ready to action goes off. No, it doesn't. The doors didn't open. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Okay. Let's talk about trappings briefly, because I did mention that. I love I love you put in there the motif of the fiery chains uh, painted on the ships, you know, designed to frighten other vessels. Um, yeah, that was that was a direct reference. Well, not really reference, but inspiration from the, uh, oh, I forget the name. I guess it's a, is it the Blazing Claw. There's, there's a fiery claw that's used for on pirate ships normally in, uh, in many ships, pirate ships anyway, in the Star Wars universe. And so the Blazing Chain was kind of a... Uh, connection to that nice um we already mentioned that you know the size of their fleets they often use colony ships as self-contained cities um but you know earlier you said it's very it would be very very rare to find a lightsaber among these this group yeah i mean there, there'd be so many that somebody eventually would have one but but there, like i said there's not a tradition here of, of lightsaber combat uh they wouldn't know really how to build one anything that any saber they might get they would I would expect them to have picked up from a, a fallen enemy. But, you know, it could be pretty interesting to have a, a higher-level character that maybe he's got a, a Jedi saber or a, or, a, or, a Sith, or a Sith saber that was um, from an old, you know, maybe it was an heirloom, you know, passed through different commanders or something like that. I could see something like that happening. But they're not going to go find crystals and build a slew of them themselves. Right. And that makes sense. <laughs> What? I like when they're going in the chat room. You've got the hook for a hand, and it all of a sudden ex- the saber. <laughs> <laughs> oh, lightsaber peg leg. <laughs> so you know, okay, we 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 know there are some oddly shaped lightsabers that exist in rare parts of the EU, like uh, you know, like Lumia's light whip and things like that. The the great saber. What about like a light cutlass? I'll take your silence to mean that's a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> I laughed to myself. I'm laughing in here. In here, right here. Right here, I'm laughing. It's important. Thanks. Your confidence is underwhelming. <laughs> okay, let's let's get into the actual mechanics of the Blazing Chain because, of course, there are several actual Blazing Chain-specific talents that are available to players wishing to ply the space lanes and throw force powers at the unwary. Uh, so the, the talent tree itself, the Blazing Chain talent tree, it's on page 33 of the Unknown Regions source book. Um, it consists of four talents to make you a, a versatile blaster combatant as well as one who can use the uh, aggression and fear as the ultimate tools. And, and we're, we're going to talk about them. 
um, the first is really going to be forced directed shot. And Sterling, this is, I mean, like when, when you were describing this, this was like, this is pretty much one of the hallmark abilities of the Blazing Chain, yeah? Yes, I would say this is probably the most common one that they would have. And for those, as a summation, basically as a swift action, you select a, a square within 12 squares of you and line of sight. And then the next attack you make with a ranged energy weapon is considered to have originated from that square. Um, and you determine cover and concealment as if you were attacking from that square. Actually, it's not restricted to energy. It could be... Oh, really? Oh, okay. Yep. I misread. Well, that's... God, that's even better. Yeah, it could be, you know... It could be blasters, but it could also be anything thrown or any other ranged weapon, really. Okay. Well, okay, that that expands things a bit because, I mean, like, the benefits of this are pretty obvious just from cover-concealment perspective. But right. consider right. the less than obvious benefits. I mean, with what you just said, if I want to make, just for flavor perspective, like a vibro-dagger thrower... The real problem is that beyond six squares, I leave point-blank range. Um, and I, even then, I've got a max range of 12 squares with, my, with, with, with a thrown weapon. With this, could I, I, mean, could I technically extend the, the, the range? Because, I mean, if, if, if they're, you know, 12 squares away, and I hurl, you know, I can, I can have the attack originate as if it was right next to a square right next to them. I mean, could I ex- technically extend the point blank range? Um, I don't think I would extend point blank. Um, I have to think about that, but, um, yeah, I don't think I would extend that because you still, even though you're selecting the square, it's not like you're teleporting the, the blade to that square or anything. You still have to actually be able to throw it. And see, and that's one of the questions I had I wanted to ask you about, because when my wife read this town, when we were talking about this, she, her, her ears perked up because she, and she, and she looked at me and she said, sneak attack, because you got to figure there's gonna be a lot of scoundrels in the blazing chain. And sneak attack is usually a talent that's often shunned by players because this whole six square requirement is too strict. You know, I I don't want to be within six squares of the guy. Um, and I guess the question would be, I mean, Oh, you know what? It does say sorry. It does say energy weapon in here. That's interesting. Well, earlier sorry. it references non-energy weapons, and then it does. I think it might have been yeah. it might have been an editing typo. Yeah. But you're saying the intent was it for it, for it to be any 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 ranged attack? Um, actually, I think my my original version I think was a little bit different even from this, but I haven't gone back to look at it in a long time. Um, let's see. That makes more sense to me. It seems a lot more versatile. Plus, you can use a slug, thro- slug thrower and do the whole wanted thing with this, you know, curving right. bullet. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's the first thing I thought of with the whole curving of the bullet thing. Yeah, I mean, my idea with that was just that, you know, if you could use the force to, to move objects, why couldn't you use it to help your shot along to the right, to, to a, you know, a more accurate, make a more accurate shot? Yep. And it makes perfect sense. So cool talent, one of the hallmark abilities. Dave, hit, hit us off on discussion about the next talent in the tree. All right, so uh, yeah, negate and redirect. Love it. Okay, so yeah, dude. Um, how many? Okay, raise your hands if you're a Jedi and you don't learn redirect. Yeah. Okay, so no one's gonna raise their hand, right? It's cool. You. Of course it is, dude. Okay, so but all right, this one you're you're a space pirate and you don't have a little glowy. So uh, what can you do? 
Um, I don't know. Use this talent, maybe, huh? So, all right. So, what does it let you do? It lets you uh, you it lets you use negate energy force power to not only negate energy damage but redirect half the damage you absorbed into another target within six squares by making you use the force check ver- ver- uh, versus your foe's fortitude defense. Does that sound cool, dude? We've talked about this, but fortitude and will are two defenses that are rarely maximized by a solid build. Yeah, so this makes it really, really good as a defensive attack. I mean, we did a whole show about ways to attack <laughs> nothing but fortitude and will and leave reflex in the dust, right? Yeah. Um, so uh, you shoot me, I negate your energy, and I send it back to you. <laughs> Yar. Is this more of a, like... Does this kind of Sterling fall into the same line of thinking as the as the force directed shot, where you're kind of you know curving part of the energy away? Um, a bit. Uh, it's also, I was I think you know it was one of those things where I thought it'd be cool. You know when Han Solo is shooting at Darth Vader on on Cloud City and he's blocking the shots. I mean, I just thought it'd be cool if he could have reflected some of them back or sent some of them back. And so that's kind of what inspired that. Um, and it seemed like sort of a nasty little trick that pirates would like to do. So, no, Yes, it would be awesome. <laughs> and it would catch a lot of people off guard because you don't really see that kind of thing in Star Wars. So um, the first time it was used um, would definitely get the player's attention because all of a sudden their own, their own weapons fire is suddenly coming back at them. That would, yeah. I uh, that would probably scare the living crap out of out of my players. <laughs> I've had I don't, I don't know about my current main play group, but I've had groups in the past. The the overanalyzers, the hardcore uh, third edition D and D players. Okay, nobody fire any more blasters at him. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's also fun to just get more uh, negate energy into the game. I think that's a a power that's just not used that much. Yeah, it's not. It's really not. Well, I mean, it's often hard to meet that damage roll with the use the force check. Right. I mean, when you compare it to like something like force shield, you know, which gives you that solid SR. Um, yeah, yeah, I hear you. This is a good. This is a good reason to take negate energy. Um, it's but it's a very underused. Yeah, I see Stutzman's in the chat, and he and he's like, yeah, negate energy is so underused. Yeah, it 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 is. It really is. Um. I don't think any one of our party has it, Dave. I know you don't. Nope. Um, most no. of our defensive party relies on DR-10. Yes. Which is great, unless you're fighting a, you know, another Jedi. Or Sith. Remember <laughs> <laughs> the first time Brev, Brev you know, I, I hit Brev with some massive amount of damage that was going to knock him unconscious from a foe's lightsaber. Uh, the first time you guys fought Leia. And uh, he's like, oh, no, I have DR-10. I'm like, dude, it, it's, it's a lightsaber. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Uh, why did I take this talent? I don't know. Why'd you take that? Talent? Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but yeah, I know why you took the talent. Why did you spend a standard action <laughs> and a force point to activate it when you knew you were facing somebody who just uses a lightsaber? But different story. Yeah, exactly. Okay, the next talent, the next two in this tree, I, I really like these. Man, these, these are so flavorful. These are the talents that really call upon the that rage and aggression to use them, and, and the first one's called Rising Anger. This is this is dark side territory, Sterling. This is this is good stuff. Um, now, 
both the talents that we're going to be talking about now, the, the Rising Anger and the one after it, do require, I believe, you to have at least one dark side point to use. Yes, these are these sort of represent some of the abilities that the chain has learned, maybe from the Sith over time. And they're they're cool. Um, th- this can get very powerful. Rising Anger once around, once around, as a reaction to an ally taking damage or being moved down the condition track, you gain a plus one morale bonus to your attack roll. But th- that's for one ally. If multiple allies suffer damage or condition track movement, this effect does stack to a max of plus five. So I, this seems like one of those talents. Um, I, I find it ironic because ironically, this is actually a very team friendly ability for a dark side talent, but it very clearly is a dark side talent. It, it's rising anger and aggression. You get so peeved that your your boys are taking hits that you turn it into, if, if enough of them get jacked up, you turn it into a plus five to attack. And that's huge. Uh, you know, and, and you can use it every round. And, you know, the no, for, no force point cost, nothing. Um, I, I, I really, really like this. Well, um, and, and, and so this is a good example of something that is, is, like I said, could be inspired by a dark side power, but since it's more team-oriented, it's much less likely that the Sith would ever want to use this exactly as it is here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Toyota's in the chat. He's like, ah, oh, it sounds piratey. I like it. <laughs> it is very piratey. I, I do like it. But honestly, even more, Dave, I like the I like the last talent in this tree. Ah, the rising panic. This is possibly my favorite talent in the tree. Ah, well, why is that? Maybe because you can use the force to cultivate a rising sense of panic and fear within a foe who observes you and your actions. That's why I like it. Maybe. Okay, so how does it work? Uh, Once per round, as a reaction, again, to an ally taking damage or being moved down the condition track, this is where you're going to make a use the force check against the target's will defense. If it's successful, he moves down the condition track. That's it. End of story. How awesome is that, dude? An ally takes damage, you're going to move down the condition track because you piss me off and you're going to panic. This this seems so insidious. Um, I I really like it. This this does again. This this is a little more like like you said, Sterling. It's a little team friendly because obviously you're. It's in a result to an ally being injured, but you know, calling upon the force to create panic and fear in someone is is just so. It's 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 creepy. <laughs> very very cool. So. These, these last well, two and it's so counterintuitive too for somebody you know usually if you're damaging your enemy you're at least somewhat happy about that because you're trying to defeat your enemy and suddenly you get this if you you know you or one of your allies suddenly gets this rising panic feeling in response it's kind of counterintuitive what's going on um, so uh, the better I'm doing the worse I'm getting yeah <laughs> um, maybe that's why I like it yeah, you hit the nail on the head, man. It's just like, so... like maybe you're not like suddenly you're not doing enough, you know. Yeah, I'm succeeding, but it's not fast enough. Or, you know, you could you could you could see several ways to kind of work the rising panic into the scene and the character. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's great, and all all it takes is a, a couple NPCs, you know, on the board with this with this talent, and the party is in hurt bad because I mean that condition track movement. Yeah, it sucks, and the penalties suck, but. 
the the problem is is it's keeping moving. So that means that the characters are going to have to devote their own you know encounter resources, their own round resources, in order to move back up. And that's where this becomes such a killer. Um, well, then if uh, you hit the bottom of the track, if they hit the bottom of the track, then they just want to leave. And yeah, that's what what, what is it? They, they hit flee in panic at that point. Yeah, they, that's right. They they run away screaming in fear. Um, this is a mind affecting fear effect. So uh, you know, but that will affect most people, obviously. Um, but it's also nice because um, for those people who do have some immunities or some limited immunities to that sort of mind affecting or fear effects, it's nice to have things to, that actually to use that against. <laughs> some, sometimes I think some of those, when you have some of those benefits, you don't get to see them and you play enough. You, you don't. And as a GM, I always forget about it. I mean, if my player has something like that, I always yep. forget about it. In one of my first Saga campaigns ever, Dave, when you were playing Kachuk. Um, oh, had, yes, long time ago. Long time ago. We had a character get to Jedi Master level. And, you know, he's immune to mind-affecting fear effects at that point. And uh, at one point they were fighting a Sith Lord who kept using Dunmok um, on, on, on the character. And, and he was just ranting and raving and he was so pissed off about it. And one of the other players in the game was like, dude, aren't you immune to this? Aren't you like a Jedi Master? And he just paused and, and went through the, the rule book. And like we've had, we'd had 30 minutes of, of the encounter at this point with Dunmok being a new He's like, hey, I'm immune to this crap. <laughs> I'm like, well, I don't know. You gotta tell me. I don't know your character. So, uh, uh. so four great talents. Um, they all uh, they all seem so fitting for the the concept. Uh, occasionally, I'm I, I'm I will I will admit sometimes I'll read a talent. Um, not that often, but sometimes I'll read a talent as part of a, a force tradition tree, and I'm like, yeah, okay, I kind of see that fitting. <laughs> Or, or that was mentioned briefly, but all of these, especially the last two, I can see something pirates doing. You know, we're we're, we're fending them off, but they're just getting fierce and and crazy, and I'm getting scared of them. It's just very swashbuckly. So, kudos, sir. Excellent work. Yes. Well, and also, um, I presume Rodney, but whoever helped with the development also had a, a hand in these as well. That's always good when you see. Uh, your ideas uh, refined a bit, so very cool. So okay, let's let's come to the 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 next step in this, you know, and and we, we've covered we've covered all this. We've talked about you know what the blazing chain is, what they do, what the tradition means from a a character and a mechanical perspective. Uh, what what does enterprising force space pirate? loving player would do with all this how do you how do you bring it together how do you actually get a good blazing chain character on the table if you want to make one what character decisions mechanical choices do you need to make how how do you how do you actually become a member of the blazing chain and learn their ways if you if you want to be a a pirate how do you do it dave are you familiar with the term privateer ah yes so yeah 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 private private (laughs) private privateer (laughs) Pri- pirate, privateer, private, whatever, you know, private, privateer. I don't know. What, you know, hey, you know, okay. So here's how I see it and tell me if I'm wrong. Is that a privateer is really kind of a pirate, but who did it for a noble purpose. 
such as like I'm sure their victims would not agree with that, but Well, no, yeah, 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 their victims wouldn't, right, but it's right, like, you know, this a, is a pirate who did something for his country as an act of war. That's a privateer. I almost and and Sterling correct me if I'm wrong. I almost view these guys more like privateers than pirates because it is self-interest, but it's not like I'm just doing this for mass greed and accumulation. It's I want to keep the fleet alive. Yeah, um I don't know. There's still, I would say, with privateers, there's typically like a letter of mark where basically mm-hmm. this, uh, the sovereign or the government uh, basically gives you permission to go act like a pirate against enemies of the country. Right. Uh, so I guess from that respect, I guess I could kind of see it that way, but they're really they are their own They are their own government. So yeah, uh, and they definitely are more pirates. Or you know, they're definitely not afraid to use pirate tactics to achieve whatever goal they they they're after at the moment true but neither were, historically neither were privateers well, um, so. i guess it's just a matter of who you rob and they, they, maybe that's a distinction maybe they are more pirates because i, I doubt that they're gonna say hey we're not gonna rob these guys <laughs> yeah it's more like no like the only restriction, you know what we're not gonna rob other fleets of the blazing chain that's what we're not gonna rob <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty much. Yeah, that's pretty much it. You know, I mean, I, I can see situations where maybe certain fleets that have that are working certain territories might, you know, make temporary agreements or might, you know, if it if it's to their advantage, they could do something like that. But for the most part, they're pretty self. <clears throat> their interests are pretty um, self-centered. And but as you said before, it's about the survival of the fleet, right? And we don't want to draw too much notice to ourselves. We don't want to get conquest. I mean, it's like you said, what the darkest period in their history was when, when Atacap, what's his face fell to the dark side completely and, right. and, and shifted to that, that Sith philosophy, admiring them or, or trying to be like them. Right. Um, so let's, let's talk about this because this is also going to lead us into later on discussion of what I see being one of the main pitfalls of potentially playing this character. As we do with all these four traditions when we talk about them, let's let's talk about how they view the light side and how they view the dark side. Um, th- this seems to be a concept that really calls upon the dark side almost as kind of a rule, especially with some of the talents that are that are in their tree. But they seem to be really not. It's like you know, but oh, but but don't fall. <laughs> um. Generally speaking, Sterling. I mean, when you envision these guys, what are what are their views of light and dark in terms of the Force? Um, well, really, uh, that's something that's left more a little bit more to the individual. Um, like I said, some individuals would might gravitate more to the light side, healing abilities, maybe that that kind of thing. Um, those that would gravitate more to the dark side. Um, probably are the more um, I don't know evil, if you will, um, members of the of the of the fleet. Um, I don't know if that's really going where you want. Um, well, I'm just getting your 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 opinions. I mean, on it and yeah. where where you saw it going, and and I mean, it, it makes sense. I mean, when you talk about the individualism, there, they, but they. They don't have a. They're not devoted to it as a goal. It's like Dave. It's like you said earlier. You know, they, they, there's multiple traditions at work here. Well, sure. I, I think, uh, as a general standpoint, right? Some of them, 
you know, like you say, Sterling, some of them are going to be uh, leaning toward the light side and doing some healing and doing some things that are for the greater good. Uh, my my feeling here is that most of them will draw at least some from their emotions and and um, uh, utilizing the the inherent aggression or, or fear that you can or panic you know that you can incite in others as a tool to be successful. But you know it, it doesn't this doesn't inherently call out that you get a dark side point for using this. So no, it's you know true. it's just that you have to have a dark side score. To be able to use it. So, I mean, you can draw on it without actually falling. I think, which is, I think, was the original point you were trying to make, Chris. Well, that's a good point. And I actually, I didn't think about that. You know, we've had this discussion before. Do you, know, do you give a character a dark side point simply for using a dark side talent um, or a talent from the dark side tree or something like that, even if they, it doesn't say you get a dark side point for using it? I, I, I would say that's highly dependent on the situation. I wouldn't want to do it every time because otherwise the character might fall to the dark side much too quickly, mm. uh, depending on how often they use it. Now, maybe that's justified, depending on what they do it f- use it for. But you know, something like the rising panic, you know, I just don't see typically handing out a dark side point just for that. Yeah, I, I would agree. So let, let's say I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a player character, and I'm interested in this this group, and I want to, as player characters are want to do, go find these people and join them or learn from them. If you're not part of that 80% that's born into the fleet, how do you go about seeking these guys out or becoming a member of their fleet, learning their abilities and techniques? You put up a well, sign, here, like, you know, on your ship. Yeah, here, here, here's where the GM comes into play and what they want to see out of their game and their, their vision of the Star Wars universe. Yeah. So these guys could be, you know, very hard to find. They might be off in a real isolated area of, of the of the unknown regions, or there could be a fleet operating quite close to the edges of the unknown regions. It could be that you know maybe the uh, characters could catch wind of or hear rumors about, and they could try and go search them out. Uh, what I would do is if 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 you had a um, party that was uh, sort of in the known in known space and trying to you know, say the players are interested in in that tradition. They want to pursue that as a campaign. The GM should decide where in the unknown regions one of the fleets, um, where where one of the fleets is located, and then how hard is it going to be to get there? Because first they got to get into the unknown regions, and they got to start searching around, and then uh, and then seek them out. Um, so if they're real close by, you know, maybe they find them fairly quickly after they get. Uh, through the the tangle, uh, the hyperspace pet tangle. Uh, but if you want to make a longer campaign of it, you make you know they have to follow basically follow a trail back into the unknown regions and back to the territory of one of the fleets. Nice. Your wife is in chat and she says it's easy. Just dress dress as a buxom Jedi wench. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. She also proposited an interesting idea that as a GM I really like. If I wanted to do a little bit of, 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 of Deus Ex Machina, um, have the PCs be captured by these guys. Yes. Let their yes. be a target. Oh, yes. That's a perfectly valid way of introducing them. I mean, um, and actually probably the most fun way because then you can, you can spring their abilities on on the on the players before they've re- even heard about them, so that that really brings in more of the element of surprise and uh, 
can be a lot of fun. This is this 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 is good stuff, boys. This is very good stuff. <laughs> I hope you all are taking notes. Another uh, another way to do it too is you know the once your once the party is in the unknown regions, uh, maybe at one of the planets that's in the book, um, you know there could be a blazing chain attack, and suddenly you know maybe they make off with some of the with the party's um, goods or ship or supplies or people or something. Uh, although they're not really, I don't really see them so much as as taking hostages or anything. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I'm sure some would do that, but I don't see that as a focus of the uh, of their um, tradition. Uh, but you could you could see you know that would then you know make the players chase after them. I want my ship back. Yes, that's always a good one. Hey, uh, that is the good way to irritate you know, your players. Take the, the ship. The funny thing is, that's what if you play a scoundrel in uh, Star Wars: The Old Republic, or a smuggler, that's what happens. I want my ship back right at the beginning. <laughs> that's so funny. So anyway, how do you get to? Uh, how do you get there, Chris? How do you? How do you build yourself a uh, blazing chain member? Okay. Well, as usual, guys, we've we've kind of conglomerated some good suggestions for you and we'll we'll go into them and, and sterling any any additions that you want to make or talk about this I, is is obviously we, we'd love to hear and, and it's one of the reasons we have you here um base classes so the paths toward this tradition are numerous but i mean and you say this in the write-up sterling most blazing chain members take levels and soldiers scoundrel and scout um noble a little less common jedi extremely rare though not unheard of um, and even then, you take time to say, you know, that if they do have levels in Jedi, it would be really almost impossibly rare that you're going to find anything from the lightsaber combat talent tree. Right. Um, I mean, if they've taken levels in Jedi, either they have actually met somebody to learn a little bit more. You know, maybe they met a Sith apprentice or a, or a Jedi somewhere along the way, or, you know, maybe they just are that good that they've sort of learned an aspect of the Force that well to take the justify taking the class yeah and remember we always say remember jedi the class does not mean jedi the order okay the, the jedi class just represents you know i'm taking levels in somebody that's devoted to uh, an organization devoted to learning the force for combative and defensive abilities and lightsaber use that seems a little too formal for this tradition <laughs> um and so i but things I, like isn't Force Haze out of Jedi, or is that, or is that it a... It's Force, Force Haze is yeah. out of Jedi. So things like that I could totally see. Yeah. Um, the other standout for me, obviously, is going to be the Scoundrel Spacer talent tree. Um, I mean, as I mean, nearly, nearly the entirety of Blazing Chain life, combat and raids take place aboard starships. So talents that are often underlooked by GMs that don't use space combat a lot, things like Space Hound, Starship Warrior, they're rarely chosen for the average character, but they really could mean something here for a good member of the Blazing Chain. Because um, nothing's going to jack up or use the force check more than gravity, uh, than a zero, G, zero gravity sickness, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> so, there you go. Dave, the force. Can I help you? Talk to us about the Force, man. What kind of... Okay, because, I mean, listen, we've, the class isn't nice, but what? The, the real probability here is you're going to be taking Force talents, yeah? Yeah, nearly every single class, I guess. That, I don't know. You need to... Uh, yes, is the bottom line. Okay. So what, what talents do you... I mean, do, do we feel you should generally gravitate towards, considering the philosophy of the Blazing Chain? 
Uh, let's see. There's a bunch, right? So um, I don't know, dude. I can't think of any off the top of my head, but there's some uh, that emphasize uh, Starship rating, um, some that are more utility like telekinetics and things of that nature. So, um, all right, so what about Force Pilot and Instinctive Navigation from the Sense Talent Tree? That seems tailor-made for the character concept, and those are also talents that are rarely used. Yeah, you don't see it come up very often, especially, I mean, Force Pilot, I just I don't remember ever seeing anybody use it, not that I remember. You know, I mean, it, I, it, I thought it was ostensibly written to be the explanation of how a Jedi could be an awesome, awesome pilot when, right. you know, he has the smallest skill list of any <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Any class. Dude, you remember, uh, you, you mentioned earlier, DR-10 is another one. Yeah, you know, DR-10 would be a good defensive talent. Because, I mean, these guys are rarely going to be facing lightsabers. Right. If ever. Yeah, exactly. So take the DR-10, dude. Take Equilibrium. Ooh, ooh, channel energy. Dude, yeah, channel energy. You know, we mentioned telekinetics and telekinetic savant maybe. Uh, you know, um, I don't know. There's there's some other stuff out there. Okay. So, okay, so what about this? And Sterling, I really want to get your opinion on this. We got to talk about it. But considering the bent of these guys, what about the dark side talent tree? I mean, we've already said you know, these guys have no problem calling upon their aggression, and a couple of their talents in their own tree are very aggression-based and require you to have a dark side score. How appropriate do you see Blazing Chain guys taking actual talents from the dark side talent tree? Oh, that's certainly possible. I wouldn't, I wouldn't normally see... Um, it, you know, if you had a, like one raiding party, you know, I could see one, one maybe two guys um, having some dark side talents. Uh, if you just, if your GM is using a, a a group that's particularly bent towards the dark side, maybe that number goes up. Uh, but I see it a little more scattered. Um, aside from their the specific blazing chain, dark side mm-hmm. related talents. Uh, but yeah, certainly possible. Okay. As far as individual force powers go, I see you Blazing Chain members wanting to strive for those techniques that are really of the greatest use in the most situations. Um, that utility aspect. Um, as well as those that can save their butts. Um, considering the negate and redirect talent they have, obviously, as we've said, what negate energy seems a pretty obvious choice for obvious reasons. Yep. Yes. Um, move object seems to be an absolute no-brainer. I mean, it's an yep. offensive power, it's a defensive power, it's a utility power. It's, what's, I, it's what the illustration shows. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, the, 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 the one illustration we have for the Blazing Chain is this awesome piratey dude lifting up a crate and hurling it at people. Um, and it's, it's, such, it's such a basic force skill. I, I, I totally see that. Yeah, I'd see that as a really common one. Yeah. And I mean, other than that, things could be very unusual. I mean, I mean, well, earlier we were talking about phase. How often are you ever going to see phase out there? But these guys might know it. You know, they've they've been learning unusual things over the years, accepting into their ranks force users from all over the galaxy who they've run across who've demonstrated powerful and unique ability. Um, who's to say they haven't learned phase or levitate or mind um, trick? <laughs> what's the weird like? It's like the corollary to surge. It lets you run up walls. Um. Oh, I forget what it's called. Super surge. It's not called surge. It's called like inertia or yeah, inertia. Thank you, Adanians in the chat. Inertia. Um. Yeah, you know stuff like that. 
you know, because according to the wording of the power, and we've gone over this, you could, you could, and as a GM, I would encourage you to, you could run across the hull of a starship in zero G with this because it, it's very clear that you're directing your movement in terms of which surface you're sticking to at the time with inertia. So that could be very worthwhile as well. In terms of prestige classes, I mean, Sterling, in your description, you pretty much said force adept is the way to go, usually what's driven towards. Uh, yeah, for for the the members of the chain that are, are better force users, yeah, that's that's definitely one I'd look at. But I mean, other than that, we've because, got because well, because, because there's really no no way for them to go to the Je- any of the Jedi or uh, Sith uh, uh, yeah. prestige uh, classes. That makes sense. So okay, let's let's. I know we got a time crunch tonight, so let's let's kind of wrap up our discussion on this this really cool tradition. Let's let's talk about as we like to do the things um, to to be wary of when you're playing a blazing chain member or when you're GMing one. So, Dave, hit me up with the player's perspective on this. All right, the player's perspective. You know, from my perspective, dude. You know what I want to be. I want to be a force-wielding space pirate. Dude, it would be so cool. So, all right, so but, I've got a problem. By the way, just to take a step back, you know, what would what would a what would a force adept slash crime lord look like? I don't know. Dude, well, you with crime lord, you got a talent every level instead of an even level ability. You know, I'm just I'm just throwing it out there. That 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 could be a, a force god if if done properly. Maybe so, man. Maybe so. All right. Um, okay. So, what's the problem with being the, uh, the, the force wielding space pirate? So, um, uh, kind of, um, I don't know. Maybe re- remaining uh, in control of your own player, <laughs> in your own character. You know, so you don't fall to the dark side. Kind of. It 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 depends. Here here's the, here's the deal. In in my uh, from my perspective. If you've got kind of a douchey GM who gives out DSPs like candy, this is going to be very hard for you to do. Mm-hmm. If you're working pretty good within your GM's latitude, then it may be a little bit easier for you to do. Uh, either, either way, I, I just you know would caution you if you're going to use this build to work with your GM, so that way you don't lose this character and and you can remain a player character and not fall to the dark side. Sterling, thoughts on this? Because I mean, th- this is one of the things we've been alluding to all episode. It's kind of one of the, be the major pitfalls to play. Um. I mean, in terms of, of running the game as a GM and you're handing out DSPs, I mean, this is a unique character that's going to warrant some different special attention. Do you think it should be run any differently or the GM should consider things differently? Or should the player fall in line? Um, I would say that the player ought to strive to push the push the envelope a little bit. But if they're, if they're crossing to the dark side regularly, then they're probably really wanting to play more of a Sith kind of character. Um, mm-hmm. These guys are really, um, like I said, they're about using this pragmatically, and so if they're using sort of the darker side abilities, I would expect them to be doing it when they need to use it the most, not just at the at any random or not ran, random, but not. I wouldn't see them using it constantly, right? To its to its fullest extent, so right. that would help mitigate some of that. That makes sense. Yeah. So okay, so the other big question in in my in my terminology or, or my uh, my own brain here is is um you know kind of like we've we've talked about with some of these other really quirky things is how do you explain the fact that you're not in the fleet anymore unless your entire group is like a part of the pirate 
Well, that would be an awesome blazing campaign. chain, you know. <laughs> We're all in the blazing chain. Yar. So uh, there, could be pl- there could be plenty of reasons for not being a part of the fleet anymore. Maybe you were kicked out. Maybe you were. Maybe you fled. Uh, maybe you were marooned. You know, they do have battles. Maybe you know. Maybe the fleet went off and left you after a battle, not knowing you were still alive. Um, or maybe it was an intentional maroon. Yes, maybe they didn't like oh, you. Oh, that's right. They left you on City Alpha Five. <laughs> Come! <laughs> this is good stuff. Okay, so that's really funny. So I, I hear I, I haven't been able to hear this much, but my wife's in a different room on her laptop, and so I just got the echo effect of the con. <laughs> like two seconds later. That's funny. Okay, how about this? Con! <laughs> wow. <laughs> Didn't have as much gusto, sorry. Yeah, it works pretty well. Con, the con echo. <laughs> I think we have an episode title, by the way. What's that? The con echo. <laughs> Mrs. Hershey is in chat. She's like, that startled the dog. <laughs> <laughs> so there's your episode title. That that's your episode title right there, man. That's it oh. for episode number one forty eight. The con echo startled the dog. The con echo startled <laughs> the dog. <laughs> we have a winner. By the way, that would be the same dog that's in my uh, from my Hoth pictures earlier this year. <laughs> Awesome. All right, so the, Mr. Mr. GM, um, what's what's okay, the GM perspective on this deal? Real quick, a couple things that are going around in my brain. Sterling had some excellent ideas as to why a character could leave a fleet. If they've left the fleet intentionally, they're probably being hunted, I would hope. And that's an excellent plot hook. But here's another one. Maybe your character left the fleet and they're still in good standing with the Blazing Chain. And maybe they're hunting someone else a Blazing Chain member who left the fleet, maybe with some fleet secrets. Oh, a bounty. And that's his character motivation is to find this guy. That's my booty. Maybe the, char- maybe he, the character they're chasing after knows the location of their secret world with all their gold on it, for lack all of a better term. Yes. <laughs> See? Stuff like that. These are good concepts. Okay, so from the GM's perspective, one issue, one big issue, I think Sterling pretty much tackled it already, but the big issue for the GM is the same big issue for the player, the dark side, right? You know, as a GM, I think you're in a tough spot. You you have to, have to hand out dark side points when it is appropriate. This is a key balance constraint in the game for force use. It keeps it from being broken. But this means you might literally be forced into turning a, uh, a player's character into an NPC if and when he goes too far. And that's a really tough position for any GM to be in. It can easily end in you being perceived as the bad guy and being unreasonable. You know, Sterling, you made some excellent suggestions earlier. And I think, I think, I think he's spot on. I think that's how you should run it. Because the bottom line is there's no easy way out of this. You have to make it clear to your players, uh, all your players, not just Blazing Chain guys, at the start of the campaign how it's all going to shake down, how you're going to treat dark side points. We've said this again, how you're going to award them. And you need to stick to your guns. When I, we look, when I think about player archetypes and the type of player that's going to want to play a blazing chain adept, 
the first one that comes to my brain is it's probable you're going to get that that ever so common i it's kind of sad this is a label now but i call it the gen sarai player uh the the guy yeah i don't want to i'm not a jedi or a sith my character's a gray he walks the line you know which is a a, a bs role-playing reason for i don't want to be constrained by anything and i just want to do what i want to do (laughs) uh you know it's leeway well this system isn't built on leeway so you got to stick to your guns. Negative. Or if you're really serious about walking the line, figure out how to really walk the line. That is the greatest challenge, is it not? Yep. I mean, just know that, okay, you're going to try this. Know you're going to get the dark side points when you cross it, and maybe the, car- the player will learn, sort of at least with that GM, where the line is. Yeah. And, 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 there, I- and, and there are other ways, actually, you know, there are other ways to... Uh, you know, if a character is using the dark side too much, uh, if they're gonna if they cross over or get close to crossing over, uh, there's a built-in you know in this case there's a built-in way to take care of that. The other blazing chain members say, "Forget that and come after you." <laughs> through that, yeah, that is true. As as you get closer and closer to falling, you're gonna get attacked by your own guys. Much less the specter of losing your character is gonna should snap you back. This 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 is very true. The, the the problem with the walk the line philosophy is not a problem with the player, despite the, the silly player archetype name I gave it. It becomes a problem when the GM allows it to become a problem, because I've known GMs that oh you're playing a Gen Sarai, okay, and they almost unconsciously are not as strict with the player as if they would be playing a Jedi, and that's the problem. That's what the GM has to avoid. Play it fair, play it right, and stick to your guns in terms of how you award DSPs. <sighs> yes. Well, Sterling, thank you for coming on this show and talking to us yet again and sharing your nuggets of wisdom. Yeah, it's been fun. <laughs> this has been fun. Um, I want to thank uh, the Gamer Nation for tuning in to us yet again. Uh, uh, thank you, GM Dave. Are, are we going to kick sad piano, sad piano music? or? Uh, well, you know, I guess we are kind of at the end of the show, right? So, yeah, sure, why not? I, I feel good talking about sadness and badness. I want to I wanna give a, a, a huge uh, thank you and, of course, uh, massive, massive shout-out um, to Beach uh, for tonight's show topic. Uh, we get a couple more in the can. Uh, we've already had a request to talk about Wardens of the Sky. That'll most definitely be our next Visions of the Force segment. But we want to know what else you guys want us to talk about. Uh, get to the forums at d20radio.com slash forums. Email us again, gmchris at d20radio.com, gmdave at d20radio.com. And, and, you know, let us know what you want us to talk about. And if you're listening to the sound of my voice now, I want you to stop the podcast right now. I want you to dial 253-218-4335 and leave us a question or a bumper. Tell us right now why you never listen to the Order 66 podcast and why you'll keep not listening. That's area code 253-218-GEEK. Geek. Sterling, anything you want to pimp out before we take off? Anything you're working on? Um, let's see. I guess the latest thing that uh, of mine that went up was um, on the dragon portion of uh, D&D Insider. I had a history check article focusing on uh, Rary the Traitor, which is a, a piece on Greyhawk. So that was the most recent. 
and I'm still working on some other upcoming things. Um, also, you'll see some of my more, more recent cartography at DungeonAday.com. Dude, awesome. DungeonAday.com. Well, thank you again, Sterling. Thank you, Gamer Nation. This is GM Chris wishing you peace, love, and good gaming. And keep them dice a-rolling, rolling. D20 Radio, where gamers roll www.d20radio.com This podcast and related websites are not endorsed by Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or Wizards of the Coast and are intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. The official Star Wars site can be found at starwars.com. The official Wizards of the Coast site can be found at wizards.com. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, D20 logo, D20 system references, all named pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars related items are registered trademark and or copyright of Lucasfilm Limited, Wizards of the Coast, or their respective trademark and copyright holders. All original content of this podcast and its related website, including graphical, textual, audio, and visual information is the intellectual property of the Order 66 podcast. Get better soon, Mary. We love you.